0: Thank you for listening to the Park Church podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's pray Lord, right at the beginning, we were reminded that we were invited, indeed call to praise you. To acknowledge you as our God, and as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who in Christ has called us to Himself, and we offer you our worship. For we readily recognize that call depends not on our goodness, on our status, our position, our wealth, or want, but upon your grace and mercy, your sovereign grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And so with humility, but with thanksgiving, we gather before you now, and we ask, O Holy Spirit, that as we turn to read a bit more of your Word, and we thank you for the way in which already we've been helped to engage with it, for Karen and for the young folk and that time together learning. So as we go a wee bit more into that, we do pray that you would give us minds and hearts that are open to hear and to respond to all that you would have us take from you today. We thank you that you're the God who desires to speak to your people. So, not only bless our time here, but up and down our land where your Word is open, where servants of your Word seek to communicate its truths. Come, O Holy Spirit, and speak to your church in our land. This day we pray for the glory and honor of Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we didn't want to put all the Bibles back out in case we had to take them all back in again, so you will have in your intimation sheet the passage that we're looking at this morning, and I'll refer to that. If you have your own Bibles, and that's good, bring your own Bibles, and by all means open it to the first letter of Peter, and we're reading in chapter 2 from verse 4 through to verse 12. We've been looking at Peter, some perspectives from the Apostle Peter, and um, this will be our last reflection on it for the present time before different things for the summer. We saw a bit of the story of Peter, his, his not glorious story of, of conversion in many ways, his story of failure, uh, his sto- story of betrayal, and yet also his story of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ who recommissioned him and called him to be the the founding father, in many ways, of the church. Jesus said to Peter that he would build his church, and Peter would have that responsibility, as we saw in the book of Acts, of being, in a sense, the founding preacher of that church. And we saw some of the sermons that Peter preached and reflected a bit on that. And then we've spent some time over the last number of weeks with different things happening. It's been been probably every fortnight, really, in these opening chapters from the first letter of Peter. And we pick up from verse 4, where Peter writing to God's elect... And he speaks at the beginning of First Peter, God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Gal- Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. As he writes to these people, this is what he says, As you come to Him, that is Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. And may God bless to our hearts this reading from his own holy word. I'm sure many of us, all of us, have been moved by the testimony of so many of the victims and the families of the victims of the Grenville Tower disaster. This week is the year's anniversary, if you could use such a word. Um, for such an awful event. And, of course, the official inquiry has started, In the last two weeks, or the, the first two weeks of the inquiry, were given over to those who were present and who managed to escape, and also to family members of those who died, sharing some of their own testimony. Not all wished to do that, and we can understand why, but some did. But then, at the beginning of this week, the lawyer, on behalf of the man in whom the flat or the, owned the flat or was a resident in the flat where the fire started, the lawyer representing him spoke. Now, let's think about it. That must be a poor man. His fridge started a fire. He phoned the fire brigade. He did what he was meant to do. But that little fire, relatively speaking, in his flat spread through that building and caused untold damage and many deaths. Indeed, we're told a number, was it 70-odd, was it something like that? But I I wouldn't be surprised if it's not more than that, because as we all know, many of the victims were incinerated. And then we heard from the fire brigade at the end of the week, who had encouraged people to stay in their flats, presumably concrete flats are to be relatively safe, um, and and they encouraged people to stay in their flats only then to discover that people were trapped and were no longer able to get out of their flats and to get out of the building. And then we hear that the supplier of the cladding, or the suppliers of the cladding that was put onto the block of flats, that they are proving somewhat reluctant to appear at the inquiry, and and indeed may well have to be forced legally to appear in the inquiry, because, of course, the real issue, the real story, is, of course, the cladding it's caused major problems. The, the flats that are in Whifflet, I was taking Isabel Martin home from the General Assembly on Friday night, but she was telling us the big tower blocks in the middle of the Bridge and middle of Whifflet are to be brought down. They've got cladding on them, and it's actually going to be cheaper to knock them down than to try to, to refurbish them and to redo them. This cladding, that certainly made an improvement, an outward improvement, didn't it? I mean, these are, I, I'm old enough to remember these concrete flats from the 1960s. They certainly weren't beautiful, and the cladding make them look nice, but now we know that a lot of it is actually, at least the material that's used behind a lot of it is dangerously unsafe. When wrong advice is given, when carelessness takes place, and when downright almost criminal activity, is used in order to get something done in the cheap, then people suffer. Innocent people suffer. And you know, my friends, as we think this morning in the light of what I've said all about that, we need to remember the words of the God of the Old Testament, who said to the people of Israel, you are to be the light to the Gentiles. And the same God in the New Testament who through Jesus Christ said to his people, you are to be the salt of the earth. But the truth is that carelessness, indifference, negligence, has often meant that in the same way as that tower block was consumed and these people suffered and many died, so in our world, the people of God, through carelessness, indifference, and neglect, have failed to be what they're called to be. And others suffer. Others suffer. Look at what Peter says in verse 12 of the verses we read live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. And as someone who likes history and knows a bit about church history, and includes especially having to try to explain to people the intricacies of the United Free Church and the history of Presbyterianism in Scotland, I, I, I would have to say to you what probably some of you already know, that the church of God for the last 2,000 years often has failed to be that light to the nations, that salt to the earth. And our neglect, our carelessness, our indifference, our downright sinfulness has caused many who are not in the church to lose sight of the God that they're called to glorify and to come to know. And as I sat at the General Assembly this past week of our own denomination, in the light of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, in the light of other assemblies and gatherings of other denominations up and down our land this week, I have to say there were occasions where I thought, are we really understanding what it is to be the people of God in the twenty-first century? That's why Peter's writing these words to the Christians living in Rome. They're living in a time of great pressure. They're surrounded by a pagan culture. That's a culture that didn't cease to believe in spirits or divine things. They believed in plenty of spirits and divine beings, but they did not acknowledge the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They lived in a society where power was driving Nero mad where within a few years there was going to be the first widespread persecution of the church. There had been persecution of Christians. We can see that in the book of Acts. But within a few years of this letter being written, in fact, a matter of months probably of this letter being written, Nero is going to launch a major persecution which began in Rome and like flames spread through the Roman Empire and countless numbers of Christians and others were going to be martyred for the faith. The pressure to conform, the pressure to shut up, the pressure to draw back, the pressure to disappear in a sense, into the, the, the vastness of the empire, not be seen or counted. that was all there, and Peter saying, "No. No. Because this is your identity. This is what God has done for you, and this is what it means to be His people. As you come to him, he says in verse 4, the living stone rejected by humans made chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How we thank God here in this building that we've got good foundations. They're solid foundations of this just as well, because in the past when we had the floor taken up or the walls taken apart or the roof redone, if the foundations hadn't been solid, if those pillars open up, the balconies weren't rooted down into solid foundations, if those walls weren't solid and on good foundations, then the whole building would have collapsed. One wonders how a lot of these modern houses made of wood and cladding are going to survive 150 years. So, it meant that the inside could be torn apart, but the building stood. Interesting enough, in the hall, in my predecessor's time, there was the talk of building an extension to that above, and building an extra hall, because we are limited for hall space. And I believe there was investigations carried out, but we can't do it, because the foundations of the hall are not as solid as the foundations of the church. Our people next door, our neighbors, are building extensions. You'd think a house in Douglas Gardens would be big enough but he's building an extension. He's building an extension on top of his garage. He's having to put down steel pillars into the ground in order to hold up because his foundations aren't solid enough. And you see, my friends, The temptation to be negligent, the temptation to be careless, the temptation to be indifferent, often comes out of the fact that in the reality, our lives don't have secure and strong foundations. So that when the pressures of life, when the upheavals of life, when the traumas of life come along, we find ourselves being moved about. We find ourselves spiritually, emotionally, in other ways, unable to stand and to stand well because our foundations are not solid. Peter's urging these Christians, and God is urging us in the pressures and temptations and traumas of life to be sure that our foundation is solid. And who is that foundation? That foundation is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And we need to come to Him and to be sure that we're rooted, to mix the metaverse, and built upon Him, solidly on Him. Because if not, then very easily we're going to be shifted this way or that way, as Paul says, tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. And that's one of the great challenges that faces the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century in Britain. The foundations often of many of us are not that solid. I have to say the foundations of many of our younger generation, no disrespect to empty sitting here, are not that solid spiritually. So often our faith is based on how we feel. Or what God has done tangibly for us in this or that another circumstance. That's tremendous. But come the day of spiritual drought, come the day of persecution, come the day when the pressures of family, the pressures of work, or yes, bereavement or other things come along, and then we're left and we think, oh, what's happened to us? Whereas, I have to say, many of our older generation certainly bear witness to me of what it means to have a life suddenly built on the one who is the rock of ages. And notice what Peter says. You're built, your life is to be grounded into that cornerstone, so that you're built into a spiritual house, or to be a temple of the Spirit, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the foundation, is to determine who we are. What determines who you are? Karen was obviously thinking about this. Is it what we do? Is it what we have? Is it where we live? Is it this particular aspect of our personality or whatever? All these things have their part. But ultimately, what is to determine the life of a Christian is the relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that they individually and we corporately are temples of the Holy Spirit. God's seal and stamp of ownership. And as I've seen these words, I hope they're reminding you of what Paul says in Corinthians or what Paul says in Ephesians. Because, my friends, if they're not, then we're not building a good foundation. Paul says in Corinthians, we are to be temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians, that we're not to be tossed about by every wind and wave, but we're to grow up into Him who is the head. And if that's not the case, then we will stumble, and we will fall. How firm is our foundation? How sure are we that we actually have come, notice what it says, to Him. Not to an institution, not to set a set of beliefs, not to a human organization, but to Him, the living stone. And if that is the case, that we have come to Him, are we making sure that our foundations Let's sing together a song. And of course, that cornerstone, uh, the picture is taken from the Old Testament, really the building of the temple. The cornerstone was the, the large stone that was set. Some of us would regard it as the foundation stone, although it, it wouldn't have necessarily a wee inscription on it saying the foundation stone. But it'd be set, and from that, everything else would get its order and direction and pattern all the other stones would get their order and direction and pattern and of course foundations are you, you you have to build the shape of this church mirrors the shape of the foundation if we were to build out for instance the kitchen next door was built out many years ago but again i've been reliably informed that well let's just say it's not got very strong foundations The garage at the manse was added on back in the 1960s. We've had to have it knocked down and rebuilt because it's not the same solid foundation as the house is. We might be tempted to add on, but if it's not on the foundations that are meant to be there, it will falter and fail. The foundations give the pattern and purpose to what's built. And Peter says, as you come to him, to that stone that's precious. You're built up into that spiritual temple, that people of God. And he goes on to say in verse 9, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Peter here is drawing on the rich language of the Old Testament. I'm conscious this morning most of us don't have our Bibles, but let me read to you some verses from the Old Testament that Peter here draws richly upon. First of all, from the book of Exodus, as God called his people to himself. And he gives to the people of Israel. God, speaking through Moses, gives to his people that real sense of who they are to be in Exodus chapter 19. I just want to check my references here. Exodus chapter 19. And this is what the Lord says. Before he gives the commandments, this is what God says. Although the whole earth is mine, he says in verse 5 of Exodus 19, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And again, in the book of Deuteronomy, these verses where again God affirms His love of His people, His choice of His people, and the fact that it's out of His grace that His people... Are brought to himself. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, you are to be a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more humorous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the Power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations, those who love him and keep his commandments. And Peter here, as he's speaking to these Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, these Christians who are under pressure to conform or deny or to run away these Christians who themselves are struggling with the battle of the life of faith and the pressures and their own circumstances, he's wanting to remind them that the God of the covenant, the God who in the Old Testament called a people to himself, is the same God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called them and us to be his people today. The God who kept his people who were in exile in Egypt— the God who brought them out into the land of promise, the God who, despite the faithless of Israel, kept His promise and brought them back out of exile in Babylon, back into the land of promise, the God who, despite their faithless, fulfilled His promise and brought into Israel David's grave, son, Jesus Christ. That's the God who calls and has appointed a people for Himself, not just in the Roman Empire in the first century, but you and me, brother and sister, living here in in the 21st century. That is to define who we are, my friends. I can't say that more firmly this morning, not what gifts we may have, not how much we may have, not where we live, not where we work. Nothing ultimately is to define who we are but the fact that in God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ he has called you to Himself and made you His people and stamped you with that seal of ownership and given you that purpose and identity. And look at what Up And Karen did that, didn't she? Let's encourage Karen with her ministry. Let's give her a wee encouragement. And how good it is that our children, the children of believing parents, are being discipled in these truths, that that in Jesus Christ is their identity and our identity. My friends, whoever you are this morning, whatever disaster your story of life may be, or however wonderful it may be, there's level ground at the foot of the cross. And if we have come to Him in faith, this is what God has called you into, a chosen people. You are somebody. You're a treasured possession. Jesus Christ, in a way we can't even begin to imagine on that cross, thought of you. For by His blood you were bought with a price. And through His death and brokenness, you have been brought into fellowship with the Holy God. You're His chosen child at precious possession. You're a royal priesthood. You have that access to the, the the creator of heaven and earth. That poor man, who's where the flat fire started, got his lawyer. He's been victimised. He's had to go into hiding. He's under police protection. He had to get his lawyer to stand and to plead his cause at that court case this past week, my friends, we have one in Jesus Christ who stands and intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. We have access to the throne room of heaven, not through a priest, not through any human office, but each and every one of us who is a child of God is part of that priesthood of all believers. We have an identity, In a divided world, in a Britain, yes, in a a church where some of us perhaps are pro-Brexit and others of us are anti-Brexit some of us are independents and some of us are no independents in such an increasingly divided and fractured world, our identity is that we are a holy nation. Black, brown, green, whatever. In Jesus Christ, your identity and my identity is we belong to the nation of God's people with King Jesus on the throne. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, we are His special possession so that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, and it's all because of Jesus. That corner stored. is that your identity this morning? Is that really? And I say this to myself as much to anybody else. Is that really how we understand who we are? Is that how we understand how we are as a fellowship? Yes, is that how the United Free Church or any denomination of Christian churches understand what their calling and purpose is? Because if it's not, we neglect that or we're careless about that or we're indifferent about that, then we won't be bringing, declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into light. In truth, the only praises we'll be singing are the praises about ourselves for the only other identity we have apart from Christ is me or you or who we are as fallen human beings. Let's sing together again a song of worship. Come and praise Him, royal priesthood. Come and worship, holy nation. Worship Jesus, our Redeemer. He is precious, King of glory. we'll sing it through three times together as oh, a we week stand on the television and the media where we heard what? What do we hear? A dramatic rise in sexually transmitted diseases. A very moving article on paper I was reading about suicides amongst young men. A week when our country staggers politically from one crisis to another. And Brexit was talked about. A week we would see President Trump falling out with everybody else yet again. And flying out to see Kim in Singapore. What kind of world are we living in? Well, we're in the world that the Bible told us about? A world where human love would grow cold. A world where society would fall apart as its foundations are undermined. In our so-called Christian Britain, there are those who set an agenda very clearly to undermine those found. Are they not? The very foundations that gave past generations security, saved us from revolution, saved us in war, and brought us, yes, peace and prosperity, are being undermined. And so in such our society and world, we need to know who we are are, ah, So that as we finish, we live such lives among the pagans that, though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day He visits us. No doubt, Peter was remembering the words of Jesus about salt and about salt needing to keep its flavor, and of how if it loses its flavor, it's only fit for being thrown on 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 the ash heap the words of Jesus that let your good deeds so shine before men, the very words that Peter really is quoting here, that they will see and give glory to God the Father. Peter here is remembering what Jesus said to him. Peter here is remembering how he had failed and how he had struggled and how he had often got it wrong, but how in his life, God's call, God's choice, God's election, God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love had been sufficient. And now he's saying to these believers, as Peter himself nears the end of his life, these great precious things that God has done in Christ, can keep you, and will keep you, to live such good lives that others will see Jesus in you and give glory to God the Father when He comes again. And everything we do, we live in the light of come Lord Jesus. That day when the trumpet will sound, that day when the dead in Christ will be raised, And that day when every human being who's ever lived on this earth will have to give an account before the God who's the judge of all. On that day, will there be those who will glorify God because they saw in me or saw in you the Jesus that they now put their trust in. or because of negligence, or carelessness, or indifference, they'll be consigned to the fires of hell. That's the challenge. And that's the call to be God's holy, Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.